You take your Bibles with me, and let's turn in them to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy is not the first passage that we will deal with today, but we will be in 1 Timothy 1, so you can get there ahead of time. 1 Timothy 1. Today, we are having our second message in our mini-series on prayer. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is near to all who call. And today, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to consider the sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. John 16, 24 says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word again, And as we, in a very practical way, uh, work through prayer, we ask that you would teach some who have never been taught today and remind us who have been taught before, and that all of us would have a heart that is ready to receive fullness of joy as we come to you in prayer. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Watching people win is a wonderful experience. As a Little League coach this last summer, I was able to see a lot of wins. I was able to see a pitcher who had never pitched before in his life strike someone out. And I was able to see kids who couldn't hit anything finally get a hit. Oh, it is so good to see kids succeed at something. So good. Even in the last play of the whole season, I remember the the night was getting late, and the other coach came up to me and said, hey, you know, this would probably be it. You know, we should be done after this. And I'm thinking, there's two outs, we're down one run, and we need a hit right now. And I'm going through batting averages in my mind, and I'm thinking, okay, okay. And then he got a hit. Whew! That was exciting. And just to look at the child's face, it was just unforgettable. Now, we enjoy that in life. And I must say, as a pastor, I have similar experiences because I get to witness your spiritual wins, the wins of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And in fact, I was reading 1 Corinthians 1 this last week, and it talked about this very fact, because Paul said, I work with you for your joy. I work with you for your joy. There's a joy that we can experience as we draw near to God. And that's my aim for you as your pastor. And one of the ways that you draw near to God, one of the ways that you express your faith in God, one of the ways that you experience the joy of the Lord is through prayer. John 16, 24 says, Ask and you will receive that so that your joy may be full. The simple truth is that God fills those who pray with joy. Are you full of joy today? Do you know what it means? Do you know the experience of the song that we sing? Sweet hour of prayer. 
today I want to point you to pray. Because God has said that you'll receive the fullness of joy when you pray. Now we're going to speed through some points that we went over last week. And then get into some more of the details of the coming weeks. Last week we addressed the question, what is prayer? What's prayer? You could say briefly, it's talking to God. That's one of the first definitions we taught our kids. But we had a very robust definition last week. And that is prayer is offering up our desires to God in faith for things agreeable to his will. With confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. That's prayer. Prayer is heartfelt, honest communication with God, our Heavenly Father. And you know, most prayers in the world aren't that way. They're mindless, they're heartless, they're repetitive. I'm thinking mostly of like the Catholic rosary, where you just count beads, count beads, count beads, say it again and again and again. Or like the five daily prayers for the Muslims, where they just stop at intermittent times through the day and same thing, same thing, same thing. I remember being on a missions trip in the Philippines and I was going through a store and all of a sudden this sound comes over the loudspeaker and everyone stops because it was the Muslim prayer time. And then everything started back again. I just thought, wow. But there was nothing to it. I looked around at the people and nothing was happening. They weren't praying. I think that's why most people think that prayer is boring. I mean, prayer is like talking about the weather. That's just boring. Who wants to do that? But what God has said here in John 16 is that he's given us an open line to him so that our joy can be full. And I would say that Perhaps the key to having a satisfying time of prayer is being honest with God. Because the psalmist says, pour out your heart to God. Because if you're praying, but your conscience is saying, you know, there's a difference between what you're saying with your mouth and what you believe in your heart. Prayer is never a joy. Because your conscience always knows. Knows when you're telling the truth. When you're not telling the truth, it never works out for joy. So the key to prayer is just being honest with God. He already knows everything, so be honest with him. Prayer is offering up our desires to God in faith for things agreeable to his will with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. So prayer is to be an honest word from the heart. It's also to be an honest word from the church because prayer is not just a personal practice. It's a public thing. Say, why? Well, the early church devoted itself to prayer. They had a whole series on that from Acts 2, verse 42. Those who heard the gospel publicly received the gospel personally. They were baptized publicly. They were added to the church publicly. And after that, they continued together, it says, in prayer. So that idea of Christians praying needs to be fixed in our minds. So let's put it to the test. What does a book club do when they get together? They talk about books. What does a knitting club do when they get together? They knit. What does a baseball team do when they get together? 
They play baseball. So what do Christians do when they get together? They pray. Now, now is that an easy answer? Because it's supposed to be an easy answer. Because that's what they were devoted to. The early church was devoted to prayer. It was regular, and it was, at times, of necessity that they prayed. Because the early church had special seasons of prayer. They had special seasons of prayer because they prayed when they had important decisions to make. And they prayed in difficult times. And the point there is that we all need to realize that when we face trying times, God wants us to know his presence. He wants us to draw near to him. He invites us, cast your cares upon me. Cast your cares upon him, Peter says, because he cares for you. The psalmist says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. The truth is, when you're weighed down, God would lift you up. The Bible says the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord lifts up the humble. So James, who is the pastor in Jerusalem, exerted his believers, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And that is the very point of our season of prayer together as a church, that we would thoughtfully humble ourselves that we can receive God's grace. And as I look through the history of the church that goes all the way back to 1798, and I read the minutes of the church, the church has done this many times before. When they were making important decisions or when they were in difficult times, they had a season of prayer. And I think it's a time for us to have a season of prayer as well. Now, as I've said before, our missionary, Marty Basinger, he, I've been in regular communication with him about this because this season of prayer is a regular practice for him when he goes to a church and ministers to that church. He calls that church to a season of prayer. So our season of prayer this time is going to be modeled after his. So in the moments to come now, I want to go over some of the details of that. Some of the details. So when is this season of prayer going to be? Well, our season of prayer is going to be each Saturday morning from now to Christmas. So eight weeks. Not too long. But each Saturday morning from now to Christmas, and like Marty Basinger's would do, I am appealing to you as individuals to commit a half hour each Saturday to prayer. Now, I'm going to go over some tips of how to to do that practically in a moment, but for now, I want to ask you to participate in the season of prayer. You say, me? Who, Who can be a part of this? Each and every one of you here can be a part of our season of prayer. It would be great if every single one of you was a part of our season of prayer. That said, I am particularly hopeful that every single member of Waterville Baptist Church will commit to this. And we've made a covenant to pray for each other, so this is right along with what we've already made a promise to each other to do, to pray for each other. So this would be an opportunity for us as a church to come together and pray for each other. But if you're not a member here, you can still be a part of this season of prayer. You don't have to be a member to be a part of this. And even if you're a young person, 
you can commit to be a part of this if you'd like. Perhaps your mom or your dad or another adult who's here, or if there's a teenager who's walking with Christ, they'd be willing to walk you through and help you pray during our season of prayer from now till Christmas. There's really a huge opportunity that we have across the generations here. But what we're saying today is very specific. We're making a commitment for a half hour each Saturday from now till Christmas. And it would be nice if we could arrange that in half hours that are consecutive, one after another. In other words, some of you get up early in the morning. Some of you sleep in on a Saturday morning. It's going to work really bad if I say 5 a.m. That's when every single one of us is going to be on our feet and praying. (laughs) For some of you, that's fine. Other people, it's not. Right? So my hope is that for the folks who get up early, then you pray early. For the folks who get up later, then you pray later. And then for the rest of us, it really doesn't matter. We just kind of fill in the gaps. That's my hope. My hope is that we'll have a prayer chain from like 5 a.m. till noon where one person prays and then the next person prays and then the next person prays. And just successively, we're praying as a church. Now, after the service, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet on the back table, and it'll be just like the sign-up sheet for the luncheon. It'll have a time slot, and then you just put your name. And I'm hoping that you'll just go back there after the service, and you'll sign in for a half-hour block of time. And if you have a particular time that's good for you, race to the back and, and write your name down. Because you need to do it at 5 a.m., because that's going to be the best thing for you. Okay. To be frank, uh, the best time for me is usually before everyone's up. So my preference is early, but if the only available is 1030, okay, that's fine. That's fine. But there's a sign-up list for that, and we'll fill that in. So this is a season of prayer. It starts this Saturday, goes through Christmas, and it's a commitment of a half hour of prayer. Now, that's when it will be. Where will it be? Okay. Wherever you choose. Uh, this, this season of prayer, it's not a, it's not a uh, service here. It's not like we're gathering and we're going to have a season of prayer from 5 a.m. till noon. All of these Saturdays till Christmas, it's not that. It's really personal. So you can do it in your living room with your coffee. You can do it in your study. You can do it in your basement. Whatever is convenient for you. But I would encourage you to choose a place where you can be alone. Because I'd encourage you... To pray out loud. There are a few things that have been more helpful for my prayer life than to pray out loud. So I'd encourage you, find a place where you can be alone. And perhaps pull out your phone, put on a timer or a reminder on your phone so that every week at 1030, you're notified to go to the basement where you can be alone and pray. And that's how we will do this. It will be on an individual basis, at home, at your convenience, okay? Now, let me address lastly this morning perhaps what is the elephant in the room. How do you pray for a half hour? I mean, I just heard Pastor pray in the middle of the service for like two minutes, and that felt like forever. 
how do we do this? Well, if you're not used to this, I can completely understand may that, why, how that might seem very difficult. So we're going to talk about it. Those of you who have a regular practice of prayer, this will be fine for you. But what I'm going to do now is, is give you some helpful hints of how to use that half-hour time. And I'd say this, divide the half-hour of prayer into three parts, three ten-minute segments, okay? And I say that because you can give each of those three segments of time to the three parts of prayer. Remember, we said that prayer is offering up our desires to God and faith for things agreeable to his will, with confession of sin and thankful acknowledgement of, for his mercies. So in that definition, there are three parts. Of course, sadly, offering up and confessing and acknowledging don't all have the same letter at the beginning. And we're all supp- always supposed to have an alliterated outline. Okay? So let's, let's change it, right? Let's go with the letter A. A. What is a word that we can replace the word acknowledgement with? Because that's a really long word. What's a, what's a word that we can replace that with? And I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and then I'm getting into the Christmas season, so I'm listening to the carols and such, and I got help from the carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. Remember the chorus? It says, O come, let us adore him. There's a short word that starts with A. So in the beginning of your prayer time, in the first 10 minutes, take that time to adore God. Adore him for who he is and for what he's done. And that's how the Psalms often begin. I mean, think of the most popular Psalm of all. The Lord is my shepherd. That's talking about him. That's adoring him for who he is. Or you could talk about the fact that it says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Or the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my strength, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's, that's the stuff of the Psalms. Again and again, they begin by praising God. So you can use the Psalms to help you, or you can use passages in Isaiah like chapter 44 or 45. Those are wonderful passages to read and to meditate on so that you can jog your mind about who God is and what he's done. Because God is great and he's good. He's wise and faithful. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. And the list goes on and on. But I would encourage you, just like I did last week, to pray with an open Bible. Okay? Have your Bible out and open when you pray. So let's do what we did today. You're in 1 Timothy 1, right? We already read this passage today. It's already on our mind. So it's going to be easy for us to go through. Let's go through these verses and see what it says about God. So you're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Because it teaches us that God commanded Paul to be an apostle. Because it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. God commanded that Paul be an apostle. Something that God did. Verse 1 teaches us that God is our Savior. teaches us that Christ is our hope. Those are things about God you can adore him for. Go to verse 2. It teaches us that God gives mercy and grace and peace. You can thank God for all those things. Look at verse 12. Kids, 
What does God give in verse 12? 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength. Strength. So you can praise God for giving you strength. You know that your strength comes from God. The strength to do what God wants you to do comes from him. Verse 13, it says that God gives mercy. Verse 14, it talks about the fact that God overflows grace to us. Like he's got, you know, the the fire hydrant of his grace is coming and just overflowing us, our lives. All that we need. Reminds me of Psalm 23 where it says, my cup overflows. God is giving us the grace that we need. Go to verse 15. Teaches us more about God. It says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You can praise God for that. Verse 16. It says that Christ displays his perfect patience. Verse 17, it teaches us that God is the king of the ages. He's immortal, invisible, the only God, the only one who who ought to receive glory and honor. Did you realize when we read through 1 Timothy 1 that it is chalked full of things about God? You see, that's how you just take a passage of scripture, a single chapter, and look for God in it. And even in passages like Esther where God is not named, you can still find what God is doing. So I encourage you, take your Bible and read and look for what the passage says about God. Take 10 minutes of that time of prayer and just adore God and acknowledge what he's done. Okay, That's the first 10 minutes. Second 10 minutes talks about the confession of sin. What's a word beginning with A that would stand for confessing sin? Well, I just said admit your sins to him. It's a nice short word. We all know what it means. Admit your sins to God. Be like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. You should be honest to God about yourself. You see, for you and me, for believers in Christ who truly are saints... Sin is not a if for any one of us. It's not maybe, Lord, I've sinned. No, we sin. Even the most mature saint who was raised in the best of homes, he still battles with sin because Galatians tells us that the flesh is at war with the spirit. The flesh, which is our greatest enemy of all, the enemy within, is at war against God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells every single Christian. There's a conflict, the Bible tells us. There's no conflict, that means you don't have the Spirit in you. If you have the Spirit, if you are a believer, there will be a conflict between what God wants you to do and what your flesh is pulling you to do. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to confess to God where that battle's raging. Where's the battle in your life? You confess that to God. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. That's what we do when we admit our sins to him. We're not keeping it covered up as if God didn't know about it. We're acknowledging it to God. And when you confess your sin, don't confess that I've sinned in general. Instead, confess specifically your failings and the sins that are on your conscience. Don't be general, be specific. So perhaps you should think back through your day. 
Reflect on who you were with. Reflect on what you did and what you said. And think about how you might have failed the Lord. And then just tell God that. Just admit it to God. You say, well, that still seems a little hard. Well, then take your Bible out. Open it to the passage you're studying. First Timothy we're going to do right now. And let it, let God's word, help you direct your confession time. So as you're looking at 1 Timothy 1, where does it talk about sin or perhaps about ways we're supposed to love God, but we're not? We're failing to do that. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, it talks about teaching different doctrine and being devoted to speculations instead of the gospel ministry. So you read that and then you think, am I saying some things are the truth, but you can't exactly find them in the Bible? Am I really emphasizing something that God doesn't emphasize? Am I fascinated with some spiritual idea, but I'm not really focused on the gospel? Am I prone to get into debates? That's what's happening there. Things are getting torn apart there because people were talking about things that didn't matter as if they didn't matter. We can do that at times, and some of us might be more prone to that than others. But we look at this, and we reflect on it, and it helps us determine what should we confess to God. Perhaps it's that. Or look at verse 7. In verse 7, it talks about these people who want to be spiritual influers, but they don't have spiritual understanding. These people lack teachability. They want to tell other people instead of being taught. Maybe that's a problem that you can confess to God. Verse 8 talks about the good nature of the law. Now, do you believe that? We're not talking about what you've done or you said. We're talking about what you believe in your heart. God said the law is good. Do you believe that? Or do you think, ah, I don't like the law. I like God's grace. I don't like the law. Well, perhaps you need to repent of the fact you think you're wiser than God. That you think the law is no good and God thinks it's good. Verses 9 and 10, there's a whole list of sins that you can reflect on. Many of them come from the Ten Commandments. But go through and just consider, is that a sin that's in my life? You go on to verse 13 and we have a biblical example of Paul confessing his sin. Look at what he says. That he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but he received mercy. Now look at verse 15 and see if you can identify with him. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, but I receive mercy. Now look at what Paul's saying again and again. Here's my sin. This is what I did, but God gave me mercy. You know, it is uniquely in the times that we are confessing our sin, that we experience the sweetness of God's mercy. Just like the story in the Gospels of the woman who washed Jesus' feet, he said of that woman, she loved much because she was forgiven much. So it is as we confess our sin that we find the sweetness of God's grace. So in prayer we adore him, Try to give, we'll say, 10 minutes to that. Admit your sin to him. Try to give 10 minutes to that. And lastly, it talks about offering up our request to him. You can just say, 
ask. Ask him for things. That's the last part of prayer. And as you ask God for things, I just want to make sure that you know God is not a waiter at a restaurant. You go to the restaurant, you order a hamburger, and you say, like ketchup, not mustard, lettuce and tomatoes, cheddar cheese, bacon, no onions. I want a side or order of fries. Now, did you get that? We don't treat God that way. Of course, you should be kind to your server. But God's not there taking our order. Instead, our prayers are supposed to be for things that are agreeable to his will. I really like what Marty Basinger wrote about this. He says, during this time of asking God for things, we should ask for what's critical to God. What is critical to God? What does he want? That's what we need to ask for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Say, what's God's will? God's will is that people be saved, sanctified, and spirit-led. So we should pray for those things. Just as Jared did this morning, he prayed for the salvation of our family members who don't know the Lord, for our neighbors who don't know the Lord, because that's what God wants. So we pray for that. We ask for that. We pray that we be sanctified and and spirit-led. And as you do that, don't just ask that God would make you holy. Name the areas in your life that you lack God's grace, that you need to become more holy. We've been talking about Sunday school, the use of our time and our money. Perhaps that's where God would put his finger down. And we need God's help that we would be better stewards of our time and our money. Be specific. When you ask for God to help you, don't just say it in general, but be specific where you feel that you need God's help. Ask for it. And as you go through these requests, remember those who are most significant. Ask for yourself, because you need to become more like Christ. More than other people, you focus on yourself and you becoming more like Christ. And then you should pray for your family, your spouse, your kids, your parents and such. Pray for your church family. Pray for your neighbors, your community, your government. And I listed our state and local governments at the bottom of the manuscript there. All their names are there. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Reach out to them even. How you might pray for them. You know, sometimes we go through the Christian life and and things at times seem a bit sour, seem a bit hard. We lack the joy that we perhaps want. We want to be closer than God than we feel presently. And one has said, maybe we're getting as much grace as we've been asking for, as much comfort as we've been asking for, as much holiness as we've been asking for. You know, sometimes we have too little because we've been asking for too little. So during this time of our season of prayer, I really want you to go to the Lord. Adore him, admit your sins to him, and ask him for things that are critical to him. And as we do this, I really believe that we will have spiritual wins It was fun this summer to be a coach and see kids have wins, to hit the ball, catch the ball, get a run, 
It was great. But one of the best things we could do, perhaps, is to personally, or perhaps as a parent, to see our children learn what it is to pray. And by God's grace, we will enjoy seeing those wins and knowing the joy of the Lord from a sweet hour of prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this commitment we have, we ask that you would Lord, give us desire in our hearts, and then, Lord, that you would give us the resolve that we need to give ourselves to this season, and, Lord, we look forward to, with expectancy, to what you will do as we come to you adoringly, admitting our sin, and asking what is necessary. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.